Welcome to the International Teacher Podcast with your host, Matt the Family Guy, Kent the Cat Guy, Jacqueline from JP Mint, and Greg the Single Guy, bringing you episodes from around the world about the best kept secret in education. You've got it, international teaching. Welcome to the show. All right. So welcome to the uh, International Teacher Podcast. This is Greg the Single Guy. Uh, cat the Kent the cat guy. I think he's giving his cat a bath. Matt's with his family, and Jacqueline is probably recruiting for somebody else right now. And I am so excited because my guest is coming to us from Spain in Mallorca, and she is not only a teacher and has a rich history in education, but she also is an, a first-time author. And I can't wait because one of my goals in life is to write a children's book. So. I want you to meet A.G. Allen, and I don't even know what A.G. stands for, but welcome to our show, A.G. Hi. Hi, everybody. So, A.G., can you tell us a little elevator version of how you got to Spain and what led up to it? Sure. Um, I was in corporate America for about 25 years, and I kind of felt this urge to teach maybe about in the year 20, but I just kept working. Um, and then um, I was at a corporation and they had a school fair and uh, one of the universities came, had a teaching program. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to do it. And so I did that two year teaching program, got a master's in teaching and decided I wanted to have an adventure and go overseas. So my very first job was in China uh, at an international school and I stayed there for about 10 years. And then my next job was in South Korea. Uh, at an international school, and I stayed there for three years. And then I decided I was kind of getting close to retirement, wanting to retire, and Spain was on my list of retirement places. So I thought, well, I want maybe a few more years in the classroom, but I only want to work in Spain so I can start getting set up for um, retirement. And so that's how I ended up in Spain. So you went and left the corporate world after like 20-some years and went, jumped right into teaching, got your master, and went to China? How did you get that China job? The China job, uh, my cousin worked for the company and she told me about it. And so I wasn't really thinking about going to China, but I like to apply for things. I enjoy applying for things. I enjoy doing uh, interviews, job interviews. I like it. So I applied thinking oh, I'm not going to do it. But then it came through and I thought, oh, okay, then I'll do this for two years. And then I ended up staying 10. That's perfect. It fits right into our theme because a lot of international schools have a two-year contract. So you went there, I mean, of all places, you know, just getting up from the U.S. and going to China, that's a huge change for you. Wow. But you knew somebody there already. I did, but we weren't in the same city. So she was in Xinyang and it's very cold and snows there. So when I was talking with the recruiter, I said, I can't go there because they were going to put me with her. I said, I can't go there. It's too cold. So they put me in Chengdu, which is uh, in the like kind of central China, south central, sort of like that. So that's where I ended up. Um, but the international community, the company that I went with, they had such great orientation. The welcoming was so good that with the minute I got there, I felt like I was a part of something. And I got to know people very quickly and very easily. Obviously, if you stayed for 10 years, that onboarding process of bringing in your first cohort like that you were with 
You must have made fast friends for the like for life with that cohort, and you stayed for ten years, well past the two year. So obviously, they did a good job, not only bringing you on, but making you feel comfortable. And what were you teaching? And in, in China, was it was it elementary? I was teaching. Uh, I started in middle school, so I was a middle school uh, language arts teacher, English teacher. So I started with six, seven, and eight, and then over the years, I ended up teaching high school courses. Ah, I see. So you've been jumping around like me. You've been jumping the different grade levels and specialties, right? That's awesome. All right. I've been high school maybe for the last eight years for sure. We're exclusively teaching AP courses and and that. But I do miss middle school. I really miss middle schoolers. I was just trying to teach kids how to write an adult email today in third, in second, no, third grade. So I have like little eight-year-olds trying to write an email that doesn't look like some kid's chat on WhatsApp. Right. <laughs> right. You have to teach them how to do a greeting and then the, a, a couple sentences in a paragraph form and then your yeah. farewell, et cetera. So you know all about that, but at a different level. But middle schoolers, you know, and they still get emails from high school, middle school students, which are just like a chat. And I don't understand why they put in like 15 question marks or... 30 exclamation points, right? I hate that. Say <laughs> so when I taught middle, middle school, that was a, a mini lesson I had on how to write a teacher an email. <laughs> I bet you have a thousand mini lessons up your sleeve just from teaching from so long. I guess I do. I guess I do. <laughs> so then you went to South Korea. You were teaching. Can you name the school that you were at there? Was it an international school also? It was an international school in a in the suburb of uh so, and I won't name the school um, could, because okay. I didn't have the most positive experience with them, but it was a good school. I think I just wasn't a good fit for the school. You said the magic words. You have to find the right fit. Otherwise, it, and I'm glad Kent's not here to make fun of me. My book was labeled, <laughs> it was called The Right Fit. And I'm sorry, I, I don't even want to talk about my book because this is your time today. And Kent's not here to make fun of me because they always <laughs> make fun of me. So then you, you're retiring in Spain and you got to the choice level because after you're teaching so long, you've been teaching so long that now you get towards retirement and I'm getting the same way. I'm starting to get designs of that one place that I'd like to end up teaching my, you know, end my teaching career before I retire out. And you chose Spain. Yes. Oh, I love it. And Mallorca is an island, right? Yes. But I don't, I don't necessarily want to retire on the island of Mallorca. I just wanted to be in Spain. So it was hard to get a teaching job here because I teach American curriculum. And they want either British or ISC or something like that. And I didn't have that ex or IB uh, experience. And so I didn't have that. It was very hard. There were only a handful of schools that taught American curriculum. This school called me, the school that I ended up at, they called me needed an English teacher. And I was really happy uh, to come here because it was just where I wanted to be. Uh, in Spain, um, once I said Mallorca, I was sold because I had heard about Mallorca and how pretty it is. And I thought it would be fantastic. And so far it really has. The weather, the people, the kids, it's all been really great. What a great journey you've had. Can I ask one question about IB? And you mentioned it. As a teacher overseas in several schools and being in the business, do you recommend that people that are trying to open up their resume and have more options, do you recommend that they go through IB training? If they want to teach in Europe, yes. 
um, because it, it's a huge deal in Europe. And it's expensive, though. But And I almost thought that I wanted to invest in it. But I think just that because I know I'm, I only want to teach a few more years, I wasn't willing to invest it. And plus, I had just come out of a master's in creative writing. And so I didn't really want to spend more money on IB training. But definitely, if you're young and you want to open up those options, definitely do the IB training. Even if you're middle age, a middle age teacher, do it. But when you get toward retirement age, just your priorities change. Got it. I am looking at your new book right now, okay? And I think it came out in 2023, but it was just released in digital format on Kindle. And I can tell you how envious I am of you. I wanted to be a, a children's book author, and I will. That's my next hurdle. I want to write a book. And Do it. Can you tell us, tell us the title of your book, and let's get into it a little bit. Okay, great. The title of my book is There Are Dinosaurs in the Library! Exclamation point. This book came to me in a dream about six years ago. And I was thinking, I woke up from the dream just really excited. I was so delighted in the dream. I was a child in the dream in a library and the teacher was opening books and dinosaurs were literally jumping out of them. And so when I woke up, I just wrote the story down and I put it on the shelf and I didn't do anything with it. So then uh, I finished my master's in, in creative writing in December and we had to write, you know, you have to do a final project. My final project was a novel, but then I realized I don't really enjoy creative fiction. I I just didn't enjoy it. But I wanted to do a project. And I thought, well, what about that book you wrote a few years ago? So I took it off the shelf and I said, this is going to be my project. And I have just loved every minute of it. I read it twice now and I love it so much. I'm an avid reader. I know Kent is also. I know Matt loves reading, mainly sports. And uh, Jacqueline, our our new co-host, she also loves to read. We're always sharing reading, and especially since it's based on a third grade. It really drew me in. Are you an elementary teacher? I am an elementary teacher. And my question is, how did you decide to do grade three if you're like a middle school and a high school teacher? Um, How did that, was it just part of your dream? Why did I say I think it was part of my dream. I knew they were little kids. So, yeah, I, I don't know why I chose third grade. That's a good question. I haven't, I've thought through lots of potential questions, but that's not one I thought through. I knew they were little kids, and I felt like I wanted them to be young enough to be really excited, and I just picked third grade. I don't know. And also, I like the idea of saying third grade. <laughs> so in the book, in the beginning, you uh, mentioned it's for Courtney. Can Who's Courtney? Courtney is my daughter. Your daughter. Okay. So you wrote this in honor of your daughter. Yes. I have to think of, uh, Courtney is my, my only daughter. She's an only child and she's just lovely. And so when I do things, you know, I spent 20 years just devoted to her. And then when I got my uh, master's in teaching and told her, okay, I'm going to move away next year, told her the year before, and you're going to be totally on your own. She's like, okay, mom, And so from that moment on, she's been on her own. She just cheers me along. The one piece of advice she gave me as a teenager is, Mom, make yourself happy. And so that has served me well. So, of course, I have to remember Courtney 
in the dedication. That's touching. And you know, the cool thing about interviewing about your book is that you can give the backstory like that when people just pick it up and mm. read it and read it to their kids. They, if they listen to the episode and hear your interviews in other places, they'll find out that Courtney is your daughter. And I think that's really wonderful. Thank <laughs> you for sharing that. Growing up, I read so much to my daughter. We had an extensive library. And so part of the book reminds me of her growing up because the way I did the typography was based on a book I loved reading to her. And so, of course, I had to, to think about Courtney when I dedicated the book. Are you familiar with the Stinky Cheese Man? Of course I know Stinky Cheese. Yes. I love okay. it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> yeah, I read lots of elementary books uh, with my yeah. kids, even though I'm not, I'm a specialist now, but I do mm -hmm. read a lot of elementary um, kids and picture books are my favorites, really. So anywhere up to third grade, and then you get into the young young novels and stuff like that. Um, I love that so much. And I'll share one thing with you. I share with my students when I have a homeroom, especially the reason I became an avid reader was that when I was growing up, maybe around second or third grade, that I remember mom and dad used to say, Greg, you have to go to bed at eight o'clock. Right. And we had a very strict mm -hmm. household. I had two brothers. We had to go to bed. I had to go to bed at like eight. My older brother got an extra half an hour and my younger brother got like less a half an hour. So we'd go to bed at seven, seven thirty, and eight, probably so they could help read to us or something. I'm not sure. Or have mm -hmm. mom and dad time. But here's the kicker. They said, Greg, if you want to read for an extra half an hour in bed, you can do that and we'll come and tuck you in. And I did. It was a reward. Oh, and it, was so amazing. I love that. That is a good strategy if you have reluctant readers. Well, I think the strategy that you are teaching inside of this book is amazing. Your message mm -hmm. of showing and without giving away the book, but the message that going to the library and opening a book is giving you an escape from the real world and you don't mm. even realize it sometimes. You get so right. wrapped up in a book. That's the message I get. And it could be about anything, right. but this is the dinosaur eyes, you know? And you had this dream about right. dinosaurs. Do you have a pen and a notebook by your bedside when you go to sleep? I don't, but I got up the next day and just started writing it. I can't even remember if I wrote it longhand or typed it, um, but I just got up the next morning. It was so vivid that I just got up and wrote. Yeah. I'm waiting for that to happen to me. I have mine already figured out and I don't want to give it away, but I already have it figured out. I even have an artist figured out that is a friend of mine that used to teach at our school, an Australian. Oh, She's nice. wonderful. Yes. How did you um, get in touch with Octavio, who is your artist, your illustrator? There is a platform that has freelance workers, creative types, all of it. And the platform is Upwork, so Upwork.com. And so I knew about that platform through my daughter. She works on that platform. And I just started searching for illustrators. And because I'd had the dream, I knew I knew the how I wanted it to look and feel. So I wanted it to be very rich, dark colors. Um, that's how I wanted it. And I didn't want it cartoonish, but I knew I wanted it illustrated. And so when I looked through several portfolios, it came down to him and another woman and the, and a, another woman. 
hers were real pastel-y and I wasn't sure. And her portfolio was heavily pastels, but I liked her style. But I went with him because I thought his was just perfect. His colors are so rich and amazing. Very Latin American, right? Colors, very bold, bright colors. Yes. And a lot of like dark outline. What I really liked about him, I don't know if you noticed this, is he writes such, I mean, he draws with such expression. So the dinosaurs have expressions on their faces. The kids have individual expressions. And I really love that. My favorite picture in this whole thing is not one of the dinosaurs, but since I'm an elementary teacher walking down the hallway with my kids, sometimes a homeroom teacher, my favorite one is a green page where she's the teacher's in the front and she has her nose yeah. way up in the air like it's a parade. And the kids yeah. are walking and they all have like purple hair and yellow and brown hair. And they're all the kids are all different colored skin. And it reminds me uh -huh. of school right now for me. And she's got her nose in the air and she's marching along with all of her, with her small class past all uh -huh. these big, you know, signs on the wall. It's, it's just adorable. I love it. I really enjoy this. I can't wait to share it with my students. I did too. That's one of my favorite pictures too. They just, and it makes me happy because the way the kids are acting different ways. And it's so funny. Then Alyssa, the main character at the end of the row. Yeah, that's one of my favorites, too. Oh, my God. They even have the, the little boy that's second to last. I'm looking at it right now because I just got it <laughs> off of Amazon. And the the boy yeah. in the back, it's a boy or girl, it has, like, blue hair and has the arms crossed. Like, I don't want to do this. You know? Yes, <laughs> it's like, that's no Alyssa. way. Is that Alyssa? I, I didn't look carefully enough. Right. That's the main character. That's the how did you come up with the name for yes. the student? Because we've had hundreds of students in the past. Um, I don't know. That name just kind of came to me. One of the things when I write is characters come to me with their names. So before I even get a plot, I will have a fully formed character who comes to me with a name. And so she came to me when I started writing it. That was her name, M Alyssa. And the teacher's name was Mrs. Barker. And it was something about Barker that I liked. And those two came fully formed. And the rest just kind of, I just picked names from my students or combinations. I have a, a little cousin's name in there. That's how I picked the rest of them. But those two just came fully formed. Well, you mentioned the name of the teacher is Miss Barker, but the one picture of the chaos that happens in the library is the librarian screaming at the kids above yeah. their shouting above all the kids, like excitement. The <laughs> librarian is the one shouting, not Mrs. Barker. I yeah. think that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a go. I love that one. I love that page. This is my first book, but from the, the, I enjoyed every bit of it. And every bit of the story, especially when he started providing illustrations, it just became so excited, exciting to me. Um, and what I liked about that page that you were talking about with the librarian is I have a friend who's a librarian. And in my brain, the character doesn't look like my friend, but that's that personality where she's just doing her work, ignoring everything. But if you become, if the children become too disruptive, that's when she's like, everybody needs to calm down. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Oh, I can't wait to read your next series of books that come out. I hope you have more 
visions at nightmare dreams about books and sequels or different topics because this is perfect. I really, I really, I exclaim about this book. I was excited to read it. Good. And that's my hope is to have a series. Um, I have the next one planned, um, but I haven't written it. I just have the outline. And that kind of came to me as I was flying from, I think I was flying to Spain. That idea came to me. So I just started like grabbing like whatever I could find to write on. And, oh, I did it in my phone. I'm like on the phone, just writing down all these ideas that came to me. So that's the next one. So I do have a series planned. Um, and because I really, I just enjoy doing it, not for fame and not for money, just for putting something that I thought was really positive into the world that I, I was really pleased to put my name with. So I hope to have a a few more. All right, let's take a moment for a little commercial about how to get in touch with us. You can, of course, find all four of us at theitpexpat.com. That's www.itpexpat.com. Or you could also find us at email at international teacher podcast at gmail.com we look forward to hearing from you or if you're into facebook we have a new facebook group at www.facebook.com slash groups slash itp expat where you can find all kinds of inside information about ITP Expat. You can also find us on Instagram at ITP Expats. That's with an S. ITP Expats is our handle. All right. And thank you, listeners. We have over 100 countries represented by our listeners. And though we're not monetized, we are here for you. And we would like to thank all of you for listening. So let's get back to the show. Is your daughter also an author by any chance? You said that she was working for that the company, the Up uh, Works. I think you call it. Yeah, she does, she's not. She, my daughter owns a graphic design business, so she has a niche business where her specialty is PowerPoint presentations. Got it. There's a special. There's a a business for that, huh? Right. I like when she graduated from college and told me. Ugh, I hate graphic design. I only like to do PowerPoint. I was like, oh my goodness, what how is she gonna make a living? What is she gonna do? But lo and behold, her first job was as a PowerPoint presentation specialist. She got a job doing that. And she did that for about three years and then she started her own business. I hope one of her mottos, one of her driving force actions for people is to say no to bullet points. <laughs> I'm going to tell her you said that. I use bullet points all the time. (laughs) Shame on you. You When I teach children how to do it in tech class, I teach kids two things. Don't read off your slides and never use bullet points. Make it more beautiful so your audience (laughs) goes, wow. Good for your daughter. <laughs> well, that's what she does. I'm a teacher, so my, my slides have bullet points. Connect me with your daughter's company so that I can reach out to her and get a few more kinds of uh, templates and stuff that make it beautiful because I always enjoy those. Artwork is really important, but it's only 
I think it's second to the story itself. And your story is just perfect because it really, it tells to students exactly the way teachers feel. Teachers really feel this way in elementary, just so you know that. Totally hit the nail on the head. Well, and I think like not just elementary, but every level, you have to kind of adjust your approach. But every level is like Miss Barker in my mind. I want to inspire my kids to want more, to want to learn more, experience more, all of it. And so I think that's what made it so easy to write an elementary book from an elementary teacher's perspective, because really all we're doing is just, I'm like, well, actually, I just wrote the way I write. And I just approach kids the way I approach them. Because even when I've dealt with elementary, I don't talk down. I talk the same way I talk to the middle school, to the high school, just very straightforward. But also pulling them aside when I see they're a little reluctant to give them a little extra attention or a little pep talk or just try to urge them, you know, just nudge them along really gently. So that that's what made it easy to write, Ms. Barker. I think you made a very good point and I'm going to echo that out. But I hope teachers all over the world in high school are pulling out children's books out of the library. I hope they pick your book out of the school library and read it to their class. Share with them the importance of reading through this story because it really, it just speaks wonders about how I feel about reading and it might inspire even high school students, right? Middle school, high school deserve to read children's books. And I, the, the picture books, especially if I put that in your category, right? Yeah, I think that's a lovely idea. I had a unit I used to do with middle school that involved children's books. And I felt like it was an effective way to teach um, using the children's book. But I don't use it so much with high school. I haven't done it. So I like that idea. We'll start with your book then. Okay. <laughs> the Hero's Journey. <laughs> Absolutely. Prove to them that when you have a dream of something that literally and metaphorically, that when you have a dream of doing something, you can follow through with it and make it happen. And you are proof in the pudding for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I have used as an example for just not having limitations because the thing is I self-published and so I had to learn a lot. So I didn't, I didn't illustrate, so I had to find an illustrator. I didn't do websites, but I had to do my website. I didn't do publicity, so I had to find a publicist. So I had to do a lot. And for me, it, was, it, was, it wasn't a struggle, but it was definitely a challenge to do all of that. And then I was doing all of this while teaching. So I still was teaching full-time, um, writing all this stuff, doing all this stuff, reading all these proofs. And I think, no, that happened after the degree, but I was still teaching and trying to get all this together. So you can get stuff done in if you manage your time wisely. And so I've used this as an example to talk about time management and really that you should always have some sort of goal. Like I told kids, I always like to have a little project going. So a question since... I am that in the camp of teachers that is working full time and I come home and I have an idea for a book and I've written the beginning of it and I've written about half of it and it's a children's book like yours. So it's not a novel, but how many times did you personally go back and polish up 
the wording and your choice of your choice of length, etc. How many times did you have to go back and forth? Honestly, I work with the first draft all the way through the illustration stage. And I really only edited based on the illustration. But keep in mind, when you look at it, it's only a few words per page. But I think if this was a regular, if this was more chapter book, I probably would revise three or four times. That's how I do regular creative fiction. I write it, then I go back and revise it. And at the end, I probably would have revised it three or four times. But for this, I really didn't. And I think because the story, I wrote the story down the way I saw it and the way I dreamed it. And it just flowed so easily. Like I probably wrote the story in maybe two hours. So I didn't do a lot of editing. So it really had to do with the collaboration with your illustrator that yes. where there were little minor changes and you had to go back and forth several times for each page or illustration to make sure the whole project came together. Is that fair to say? Right. And not, not so much back and forth. It's just when I noticed he had an illustration that was fantastic, if my words didn't fit, I made the words fit. Or if the words, if sometimes there were too many words on the page. And so sometimes I had to edit it down. But I thought it made it tighter to edit some of the words out. Like sometimes I had a little bit more descriptive language. And I had to take a little bit of that out just to make the words fit on the page. So that's kind of how it went. And maybe with us going back and forth, trying to get everything right, getting um, the colors and everything, he chose all those and I loved them immediately. I would say we may have had four or five rounds back and forth with the book on different aspects. Sometimes it was text placement. Uh, sometimes it was, okay, I'm gonna fix this. Sometimes it was, oh, I see a little, something strange in the illustration, but I didn't really have to do a lot with that. He was an expert with the illustration. Well, I think that no matter what, and I think we can sort of wrap a little bit of this conversation up about your book, but I think it's something that should go off the shelves immediately. I think that schools should get a copy of it. And I'm going to share it with every teacher I know because it really oh, is that great. I'm not just saying that. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I wish that I hope that you sell millions of them because it's not about the money. It's about the message that oh, books you. are really full of adventure. Right. Right. And you know, what's really interesting was at maybe about two to three months in, I thought, is this even going to be relevant? Is it going to be relevant? But then I thought, I don't care whether it is or not. It's something that I love. It's a message that I love. I'm going to do it anyway. And so I'm. It, this feedback really is encouraging. Well, I tell you what, I did the same thing with my book, and it's a whole different genre, a whole different you know ball of wax. But my book was written for myself more than anything to give back to a community that there was a niche that was missing. And I wrote it not for profit, mm. not for fame. I just wrote it, and thank goodness I didn't. <laughs> uh, Mom's bought how many copies? <laughs> but I wrote it because it's filling a niche and a need and which is very important and that was my need to have more information mm -hmm. but your your message of kids going to the library and just falling in love and getting lost in a story it's so it's it's perfect so let's put it that way it's perfect what you do thank you one one last thing i want to say about it is one of the things that i talked to the high schoolers about the high school 
kids that I teach is you have to know things and you can't know things. Yes, there is a lot of information on the internet, but you have to know things and you have to know things in order to synthesize and to solve problems. You can't go and Google it and then take that solution to a boss. Nobody's paying you for that. They are paying you to develop and create. And the only way you can do that is to know things. And I think that's why the reading for me is so important. Reading helps you know things. You can know adventure. Sure, I think that's great. I read a lot for just adventure. However, you can just read for information. Just get a book in your hand and, and just experience what it's like to really know things. So tell me about your students at school right now. You're teaching you're teaching language arts right now in Spain, right? Yes. And mm -hmm. your are your are your students international body or are they host national? I mean, are they mainly Spain? They are very international. They're very international. Um, because they are coming to train not just for school, they're actually training also for sport. Um, they come from all over the world um, for this world-class sport. So, yeah, they're very international. Germany, Mexico, U.S., of course, Spain, uh, France, Middle East. Yeah, they come from all over. And so is the teaching staff. This is the first school that I've worked at where the teachers are also very international from all over the world. And are your kids reading more, do you think, than they normally would after having you as a teacher? Are they picking up books or even an iPad with an iBook on there? Are they reading more these days? Or do you think, like I do, that they're lost in media? I think they're lost in media. They will read more because I'm their teacher. But I don't know that I will inspire them to read more outside of. I hope that I can. But while I am their teacher, I have them reading. So even though we're only three weeks into school, they have a book project. And they were all shocked and appalled. And even some other teachers, they didn't, um, they were so happy that I assigned a book. They say, these kids don't read books at all. They just read little snippets of things. And so I, in every single class, they would ask me, do we read the whole thing? I'm like, yes, all the pages. Yes, all the pages. What I'm hoping also, like right now they're doing uh, more of a self-help thing because we're doing argumentation. However, later in the year, I plan to do fiction. We're going to be doing some poetry soon, and I plan to be doing fiction. And I'm hoping by then, with me making them read, because we're going to do a whole book, that they will maybe get this love for the books. So we'll see. But right now, I think media is so accessible and so immediate and just so quick that that's what they prefer. I'm going to put you on the spot then, English teacher. Which book uh -oh. would you maybe choose? What's what's maybe one of your first choices to teach as a book for them to read it all the way through? Um, if you had your choice. To Kill a Mockingbird, House on Mango Street, or Their Eyes Are Watching God. Those are my top three. Because my ninth graders, when I taught ninth grade, loved To Kill a Mockingbird. And these are the ninth grade in Korea. So they had no basis of understanding the story, but they love that story and they did fantastic with it. I had to incentivize them to read it. We had to have daily quizzes, but they read it and you could tell when we wrote reflections that they were understanding and they were pulling out things and they were synthesizing, they were empathizing. It was fantastic. 
So yeah, those are the, the my top three. House on Mango Street, To Kill a Mockingbird, and The Rise for Watching God. To answer a little bit on my side, I shared one of my favorite books with a fourth grade in Switzerland. It was a very international group. And it was a very high-level book to read with them, but we read it out loud together. And it has many characters. Mm. It's called The Westing Game. It's a Newbery Award winner, and it's based in, I believe it's based in Milwaukee. It was like the Westinghouse company, right? The old days. It's set back Mm -hmm. a little bit in history in the early 20th century. I remember having a semicircle of kids, and they all had to take multiple characters to follow along because there were probably 20 different characters in this story. Mm-hmm. And there's no movie, which I love. Nobody's mm. made a movie of this book. And it was a Newberry, <laughs> so of course it was a great pick. Uh-huh. But it was a middle school book. If you right. haven't read it before, take a read on mm. it. And it, it's a wonderful character Will book. Do. It's a whodunit. So it jumps character to character a lot. So it was very difficult for my class that year. But it was exciting to do as a class, read aloud together and tear apart each of the characters, keep track of a map out the story itself, because it jumped from one character to the next all the time. Yeah, I like it. I think you should read up and teach up. So my eighth graders, when I taught middle school, we did True Grit, Frank Portis. And man, it was a tough read for them. But again, they got it and they loved it. That does have a movie. I showed the movie, but we did a movie. We did the movie and the book, but we read the book first and then did the movie kind of as a reward. And when you do that, do you compare afterwards? You have a discussion at least or have them write something about the comparison between the two? I don't. I usually don't. Um, When we were doing, I, I use it as a supplement. So when I use the movie for To Kill a Mockingbird, we will read first and then I'll show them the movie to make sure they're really understanding it because I'm dealing with second language learners. So I want to give them kind of different layers of how they can understand it. So even if they don't get the words, when they see the images, they can make those connections and be like, they can get a fuller picture. And one of the things I noticed was they were very much able to, even the low level, uh, when I had reflections, and that's how I gauge whether you're getting it or not, not whether you know, you know, how many uh, pennies were in the box or whatever. Um, they they understood. They could write a reflection that was very much on point. But I usually don't do comparisons between the two. Well, sometimes the movie can just be a reward as the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If the book's a little easier. So I don't think uh, True Grit is an easy book, but I think it's the plot is simple. So that's why we did the movie as a reward. For To Kill a Mockingbird, the plot is complex. So that's why I did both, so that we did it parallel. We'd read and then watch a section of the movie just to make sure everybody was on the same page. I did that with Romeo and Juliet also, just to make sure. I have so many questions. I could ask you so many things, but let's go ahead. And one one favor I have to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot. You've been to Korea and South Korea and China and you've traveled a lot outside of those countries, I'm sure. You've been to Spain. Uh, you're living in Spain, excuse me. My question mm-hmm. is, do you have a, not a very personal, but a very lighthearted police story or customs story about traveling around in these countries? Not really. In China, I would always get searched. 
always get patted down. And I thought, I think they just want to touch me because, I mean, I'm looking like a little old lady. There's no reason to suspect me of anything. And, and, <laughs> and But here in Spain, nobody pulls me aside. Nobody has pulled me aside yet. But every time I traveled in Spain, I'd get pulled aside. Never with customs because, you know, when you're living in China, they bring stuff in and out all the time. Uh, they buy a lot of goods. So, no, I never got stopped. And for me, my experience in China with legal things was was fine. It was no problem. The funniest story I have about legal things was I had a scooter. And I was at the bank to withdraw money to go buy a lock because my lock had broken on my scooter. While I was outdoors withdrawing the money from the ATM, someone stole my scooter like right in front of the bank. So I am so angry that I run out in the street and I see police and I'm like in the middle of the street making them stop. And so of course I don't speak Chinese, but all I say is scooter. <laughs> and they were like, they knew what had happened. So they, they, they couldn't take a report. I mean, you know, it's millions of people. No, they had no way of recovering the scooter, but they just took me to buy a new one. <laughs> They just drove me to the place to buy a new one. I was so angry. And that's the funniest story. Yeah, I had really good experiences in China, except for just being patted down every single trip into the country, out of the country, traveling within the country. I always got patted down. Thank you for that story. That's exactly the kind of story we like to share on International <laughs> Teacher Podcast. Uh, having your scooter stolen right as you're getting cash out of the cash machine. And you're right. Once that scooter's gone, how is it? At least they gave you a ride to go buy a new one, right? Right. <laughs> I have to travel uh, with three things everywhere I go in Ooh. every country. And and what I need for comfort is, number one, I need to have ice. I love ice in my drinks. Mm -hmm. Number two, I need to have a maid because I can afford it overseas, yes. but not in the States. So I have someone to do my laundry or someone to clean my house. Right. And number three, I need to have some kind of transportation right. so I'm not reliant on the school to transport me because, mm -hmm. a long story short, I was late for my first day of school. And then ever since then... In most countries, mm. I have those three things. So are there three things that you could nail down that you take with you to these countries or you need in these three countries so far? What I feel like I need, and I, I'm finding it more here because it's a little non-traditional here. My previous two schools take complete care of you. They rent your apartment. They set it up. They do all of it. Here you come as an independent citizen. So... When you're talking, I think one of the first things that I really need is transportation. So I'm now having to sort that out, and I never have had to sort it out. The second thing that I see that I'm needing is I do need a maid, a housekeeper, because I don't like to do floors. So I will do, every, my house is spotless, but the floors will get so dusty because I hate doing floors. And what's my third thing? Internet. I mean, but that's just kind of a given. You have to have internet. The reason I bring it up is because right now I don't have internet. So of course I'm on my phone. I have data on my phone. And so that's been a lifesaver. But at my house, I don't have internet. And I see what a big deal it is. It really limits me. But it might be a good thing because it means I'm not working at night. 
because I can't work. My phone doesn't hotspot to my computer. So I think those would be the three things that I really need. Just, you know, housekeeper, transportation, internet, got to have it. I love the way that you mentioned housekeeper too. And, and there's many, so many reasons for it. We can give back to the country we're living in by supporting some of the locals that need to have that kind of a job and we can treat them really well mm -hmm. and support them with remuneration. Whereas they might have somebody else in charge of them that doesn't treat them well. And in addition, it's symbiotic. So you can have someone do your cleaning so right. that you can focus right. on teaching and other things that are going on around. And we can't afford that in the States. Most of us as teachers. Right. And I feel like what I think people don't understand is sometimes like when you're overseas, things are harder. And so everything is harder. The language is harder. If you don't speak the language, getting things is harder. And so those little areas where you can make life a little easier for yourself, especially if it's affordable and you're not exploiting anyone, I think you should do it. And so that's why in China, I did have a housekeeper. Um, in Korea, I didn't just because my apartment is very small. Um, and right now I don't have a housekeeper, but I plan to get one because I live, my apartment's pretty big. And again, floors is my problem. But it's those little things that we just need to to have that make our life easier. So here on the island, transportation is kind of challenging. So I realized that I haven't had a car in 13 years, but I think I might have to buy a car. But if I had a housekeeper, someone who speaks Spanish, I could tell them to do X, Y, Z. They're not going to drive me around, but there are other things that they could do, like keep my place clean, but also maybe buy my groceries, help me to figure out some things that I've had to figure out on my own or get some teachers at school because they're very sweet at school. They will, they're very helpful. Well, I think you echo everything that we talk about and reinforce what we feel on this show. So it's great to have you on here. I'm celebrating mm -hmm. your new book, but before we, you leave us, I would like to give you a chance to say a few words of wisdom for either anybody in entering into international or some people that are out there right now, if you have any words of wisdom for us. I think if you're going to enter the international, especially if you're going to be a teacher, the very first thing is you have to really, uh, when you go someplace, you have to understand the culture. You don't have to know everything about it, but you have to be open to it being different from your own because it is going to be different from your own. I think the second thing is you have to lean in. And that's something that I had to learn. I'm an introvert. I'm, I'm friendly, but I'm not. Uh, gregarious, I wouldn't say. And so I had to learn to lean in. I had to learn, say yes to the invitation, even though I'd rather just be at home. Say yes, lean in, invite people over. And I think that's critically important because you have to establish a community. I saw a big difference um, from how my life was in China, where I had so much community, so much involvement, and how my life was in Korea. It wasn't. And I wasn't, it wasn't the best fit for me because I didn't even have community support. Now, fortunately, year two, my daughter moved to Korea. So I had her and we could hang out and do some things. And then I had some other friends from China who also moved to Korea. So I still had some China connections. So that community is very important. So those are the, the two things, open mind and build a community by leaning in. Fantastic words I can't even follow up with, but forgot to ask you this. Do you have a website for your book or is there some information that people can get in touch with you after the show? Sure. My website is uh, agallen, 
Allen.me. So A-G-Allen.me. Um, and my, so that's my author's website. And my email is A-G-Allen-E-D at Outlook.com. Perfect. We will put those in our show notes. And as we wrap up our hour, I do want to say, go out and get an edition, whether it's digital or preferably in print, I think, for teachers to share with your students. Get There are dinosaurs in the library, exclamation point. <laughs> Did I say that right? <laughs> Yes. I'm looking right yes. at it. But I'm Gotta excited. have the exclamation point. Yep. Exclamation point. And we all at the at the ITP, all four of us, I can speak on behalf of my um, co-hosts. We hope that you find a maid to take care of your floor. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us on your Absolutely. phone. And keep in touch with us, please. Okay. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed uh, speaking with you.